Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. We're America, bitch. Yeah, that's what uh, the White House says. That's the Trump foreign policy. How's that for the history books? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see how well it's working, too. Hey, hello, everybody. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday, June 14, 2018. Uh, and a special edition here of the Bill Press Show with the news of the day coming to you live from Washington, D.C., Keeping our eye on what's going on at the, uh, the Congress, just down the street here uh, from our studio, and also what's going on down at the White House, as well as around the rest of the country and the rest of the world. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. The big stories of the day, of course, yes, Donald Trump. He says after that little handshake, one little handshake, that's all it took. All it took, one little handshake in Singapore, and there is no more nuclear threat from North Korea. You know, if he just pops around the world shaking hands here and there, there will be world peace forever and nothing to worry about. Yes, hope you all had a good sleep last night um, because of uh, Donald Trump and the handshake and knowing there is no more nuclear threat anywhere in the world, certainly not from North Korea. A federal judge has upheld that huge $85.4 billion merger between AT&T and Time Warner it looks like Michael Cohen, the president's personal attorney, could be ready to cooperate with federal attorneys and maybe the special counsel himself and the uh, president's other attorney, Rudy Giuliani. Oh, my surprise, surprise. Yes, another wife has dumped him because he was having an affair and cheating on her. That's what she, his wife, says at any rate. So much to talk about, so much you are going to want to comment on. Please do so by sending us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Lots to talk about. We jump right into it. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, what is the worst 
least livable city in America. I can actually tell you because 24-7 Wall Street put together an index with measures. The worst, least livable the city. The least livable city. Here are the eight categories that 24-7. Mississippi. <laughs> Here are the eight categories that 24-7 Wall Street put together to measure this. Crime, economy, education, environment, health, housing, infrastructure, and leisure. And the worst city in the country, the least livable city in the country. Biloxi, Mississippi. Is... Detroit, Michigan. Oh, Detroit, Michigan. Oh, they have a poverty rate of 35.7%. Uh, the medium home value, the median home value in Detroit is $43,000. Uh, number two on the list is, might not be a surprise here, Flint, Michigan. Mm. Number three is St. Louis. Number four is Memphis. Number five is Cleveland. Mm. Terrible, right? Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, they—they. They, I mean, one of the things that you—that's you know a common thread here. They had here. the Republican convention last year. That's got to be it. Well, yeah. That's got to be yeah. it. One of the common threads that you see here is the unemployment rate. The unemployment yeah. rate is really, really bad in a lot of these cities, and that is going to spur a lot of different problems. So many of them in the Rust Belt. Yeah, that's yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, states here in America, Hawaii. Yeah, I was going to move to Detroit. Uh, were you? Not, yeah. <laughs> Hawaii has become the first United States, uh, well, first state of the United States to ban the use of pesticides containing a widely used chemical that's used in almost all pesticides. It's called chlorpyrifos, chlorpyrifos, I guess. Uh, and it's been linked to severe developmental delays in children and other health risks. And Hawaii finally said, like, no, no, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to have this anymore. They've completely banned it. it. You're not allowed to sell it or have it starting January 1st of 2019. Businesses will be allowed to apply for a uh, three-year extension to adjust to the guidelines while they get some of their old backlog of this stuff out and bring in uh, newer pesticides. But they've banned it. They said no more. It's pretty interesting. Uh, it is. It is. And good for Hawaii. You know, you go to Hawaii, you think healthy, beautiful, and uh, no chemicals, no pesticides. Good. This is the Bill Press Show. It's official now. There is no more nuclear threat. From North Korea. Done. That problem solved. Let's move on to another big world crisis. Man, it's amazing how fast Donald Trump can just boom like that. With a handshake. With a smile. Just go from uh, the worst nuclear threat uh, in our lifetime perhaps to no nuclear threat at all. And with that bit of good news, I hope you slept well. Uh, June 14 it is. Thursday, the Bill Press Show. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the program. So good to see you today, and we appreciate the fact that uh, you are part of the uh, program, very, very much part of the program, and look forward to hearing from you your comments on the news of the day as we go uh, bouncing through uh, the headlines of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. We're coming to you live all around all around this uh, uh, the great planet and all around this great country of ours, coast to coast. On any platform we can, with a great lineup of uh, guests today. Well, look, we're looking, we're joining you on YouTube online on YouTube at youtube.com/slash the Bill Press Show. Of course, on Free Speech TV, as always, and on the radio. 
Indiana Statewide on Indiana Talks, the greater Chicago area on the great WCPT. Rebecca Lieber joins us from Mother Jones uh, just in about a half an hour to talk about Scott Pruitt and also what's happening at EPA when there's all this attention on Scott Pruitt's ethical failures. Meanwhile, they continue that wrecking crew under his direction continues to do everything they can to roll back the environmental protections that we have in place under both President Obama and President George W. Bush. She'll bring us up to date on that. Congressman Don Beyer from Virginia here to tell us about the big political um, news from Virginia with a real extreme Trumper, Trumpier than Trump, Corey Stewart as the Republican candidate for governor over there. And then our own foreign policy uh, guru, Joe Sirincioni, and to tell us the full story, the real story about the North Korean summit, what happened, what didn't happen, where do we go from here, is there any reason at all uh, to be optimistic about the process that now, uh, at least ostensibly, uh, begins, we don't know yet when or who's in charge or anything, but supposed to begin uh, to really lead to the denuclearization of the uh, Korean Peninsula. Again, good to have you with us, and look forward again to hearing from you. Your comments, welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, yes, indeed, let's start right there with the summit. The president just boldly, boldly tweeting yesterday morning, uh, right during our show, uh, quote, there no longer, there is no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea. Notice there's no, um, we hope, that this gets will lead to no more nuclear threat, or we hope this um, promises to be, or it's a first step toward no more nuclear threat. Uh-uh. No. Donald Trump says emphatically, boasts, there is no more nuclear threat from North Korea. What's behind that statement? What is the foundation for that statement? Nothing. It is built entirely on sand. It is nothing but a boast from the boaster-in-chief, Donald Trump, of course, the same man who said he had the largest crowd of any inaugural inauguration of any president ever. Uh, but seriously, we, we know so that North Korea, after the summit, still has anywhere from 20 to 80, that's what's estimated, Nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons now. I mean, this is not that they have, like Iran, had the potential for building one. North Korea's got them. They've got them. We, we, know, we don't know how many they have. We know they have them. We don't know where they are. We have no agreement that we can go inspect them uh, and determine uh, how many they have. They have not agreed to, to let us do that. They have not agreed to abandon or dismantle, rather, uh, the nukes that they have. They have not agreed to destroy their centrifuges for the purpose of building more, uh, of creating more fissionable material. They have not agreed not to build any more nukes. They have not agreed not to have any more missile tests to deliver those nukes as far as maybe the continental United States. In other words, they've not agreed to anything. We are still living in peril of a potential nuclear attack. 
South Korea or the United States or Japan from North Korea. It is not true. It is emphatically not true to say there is no more nuclear threat from North Korea. There is nothing to support that claim. We are as much under threat today as we were June 11, the day before the summit. So Donald Trump says, is ba- this, what is this based on? It's based on a handshake and a smile. Yeah. I, I want to read a tweet. I think you need a little more than that. <laughs> a little more. Just a little more. I want to read a tweet that, that Donald Trump sent out yesterday after after our show. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about big threats that we face as a country, he says, so funny to watch the fake news, especially yeah, right. NBC and CNN. They are fighting hard to downplay the deal with North Korea. 500 days ago, they would have begged for this deal. Looked like war would break out. Our country's biggest enemy, our country's biggest enemy is the fake news. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. easy promulgated by fools. It, a, he didn't write that. Yeah, right. He didn't write that. Yeah. Uh, mostly because everything's spelled correctly. And I damn, if anybody, if you get a chance to ask the press president a question, ask him to define or spell the word promulgated. Because <laughs> he did not write that word. Right. So, in the face of North Korea's nuclear arsenal and their history of, and we, as we pointed out yesterday, at least twice before, at least twice before, they have signed uh, an international agreement with the United States to freeze or to stop or to reverse uh, their nuclear program. They have not done so. And this time, but this time, they didn't even sign something that promises to do that. We read you that bland statement yesterday that followed this summit. It just said that Kim Jong-un reaffirmed <coughs> pardon me, his commitment to denuclearization of the peninsula. We don't know under their—well, we do know that under their terms, denuclearization doesn't necessarily mean getting rid of all their nukes. They have never, never agreed to that. So all this rosy talk about the summit, all this glow about the summit— yeah, as we said yesterday, it's good that it happened. We, yeah, good that it happened. Better that they sit down and talk about peace than that they exchange angry tweets from, uh, you know, 8,000 miles away or whatever it is. Uh, so, yeah, bravo for the summit. But that doesn't really change things on the ground, and it doesn't change things moving forward. And here's something. So that's the first part is this nuclear threat still exists. The other thing that that um, we got to recognize is that North Korea is still the cruelest, meanest, ugliest country on the planet. I mean, this is like Stalinesque what we hear uh, that's going on in North Korea. I saw some more figures on that yesterday. There are some estimated 125,000 people, North Koreans, in slave labor camps in North Korea, I mean, which are just like the gulags of the Soviet Union, where they say rape, infanticide, forced abortions is all kind of the name of the game. It's actual slavery conditions. These are political dissidents. These are political prisoners. These are not criminals who just have expressed or maybe acted in some way uh, in disagreement 
with the Kim Jong-un family. This is a guy, remember, who did order the execution um, of his uncle because he felt his uncle wasn't loyal enough. This is a guy who ordered um, acid to be thrown in the face of his half-brother at an airport in Malaysia. Um, it, it goes on and on. I read yesterday that every home in North Korea must, by law, have a photograph hanging on the walls of Kim Jong-un's grandfather, I think it was Kim Jong-il, I believe, and then his father, who was Kim... The father was Kim Jong-il. I forgot okay. who the grandfather was. All right. and, at any rate, yeah. they have to have a photo in their home hanging on the walls of both of them, and they and they have to buy they have to they have to rub the uh, clean them polish them at least once a week, and they have to buy a special cloth. It's only this one special cloth that the government sells that you can use to polish these photographs. I you talk about? I mean, this is worse than Russia, right? I mean, look, I have that in my home of Bill Pratt. Of me, I yes, hope. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 right. But that's a different story. Yeah. And of course, the president even mentioned Otto Wambier. This is this American student who was tortured, who was who was sent home uh, in a coma, and then that was like a year ago. And then we turn around, and this murderer, who was by the even by Donald Trump's words, six months ago, calling him a madman and a maniac, a, a quote unquote a maniac who would not hesitate to kill his own people. His today, own family. His own family, his own people. His own family, he doesn't care. People. Indiscriminately killing. Right. But today, Donald Trump says, he's very smart. <laughs> he's very smart. He's funny. He's funny. He, quote unquote, he loves his people, and they love him. There's such fervor. Such fervor among the North Korean people. So how do you go overnight from being the madman, the maniac, the murderer to this funny guy that loves his own people and it's just so much fun to hang out with. You know you know what? It proves that it doesn't take much to impress Donald Trump. All you have to do is show up, right? That's all Kim Jong-un did, is show up. And he'll go home and just and, and be up to the same old ugly tricks. So the whole thing about the summit, now look, Let's be let's 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 be optimistic and say let's hope something comes out of this process. But let's find out who's in charge of this process, when does it start, and wait and see what comes out of it before again we pop the champagne corks. Uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State yesterday, tried to keep this idea alive uh, that this is for real. Here's my, uh, Pompeo saying, "No, no, no." There's a real commitment here. The world should rest assured that the United States, the Republic of Korea, and Japan remain committed to achieving the complete, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization of North Korea. That's the phrase that the, that the uh, White House and the State Department keep using, as Nahal Tuzi told us yesterday. Uh, it's complete, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization. Complete, verifiable, and irreversible denuclearization or CIVID, they're calling it, uh, in the State Department. CIVID, that's what they want. That's the goal. It's CIVID, bitch. It's CIVID, that's bitch. That's what they're saying. That's right. Yeah, right. Uh, Pompeo says again, just read the document. 
It's very clear. The agreement that was signed made very clear that this would be the complete denuclearization and made express reference and incorporated into that the very well, uh, very well done document, the Panmunjom Declaration, which itself incorporates all previous agreements between inter-Korean agreements. Uh, yeah, not so much. We, uh, we read you yesterday just that one line uh, from the communique. Basically, it's one line in the communique that says uh, uh, that Donald Trump promises security for the Republic of North Korea. I mean, for the North Korean, whatever, DKRP, yeah. and um, that, that Kim Jong-un reaffirms his commitment to denuclearization. I thought Bob Menendez, Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey kind of summed it up yesterday. Uh, is this what, is this is really, is really the art of the deal? This is not the art of the deal, but it seems to be the beginning of the art of concessions. Yeah, I think that's what we saw. So... A long way to go before we can say that anything really was accomplished uh, in uh, Singapore. Meanwhile, we know what was on the president's mind um, when he was on his way home from Singapore. We found out that uh, he was on the phone making phone calls to his lawyers, to Rudy Giuliani and the rest of his lawyers to talk about Robert Mueller and the Mueller investigation and the fact that... um, they're getting to a point where they're going to have to make a decision uh, about whether they will accept Robert Mueller's invitation to meet with him and answer some questions or if they're going to force Robert Mueller to subpoena the president of the United States and trigger that big question about whether the president has to respond to a subpoena. Rudy Giuliani has already said no because he's basically uh, above the law. But it's interesting that uh, that right away, right off the right off the summit on the way back on Air Force One, reported uh, this morning, uh, that's what the president was up to, uh, and uh, it's so that is still going on. Uh, this question about will he meet with Mueller voluntarily? Will he be forced to meet with Mueller? Will it go all the way to the Supreme Court? Related to that issue is uh, reports that Michael Cohen, the president's private attorney, remember. Uh, is uh, um, changing lawyers. (laughs) He's decided that uh, he needs a new crew of lawyers because the feds are closing in on him. He's not happy with his existing legal team. And reportedly, the White House now is more and more concerned that Michael Cohen is going to start cooperating with the special counsel. Uh, we, We talked about this before, whether or not facing 30 years in prison uh, he might sing, and Michael Cohen has been with Donald Trump long enough. If anybody knows more about where the bodies are buried than even Paul Manafort, it's <laughs> Michael Cohen for sure. I, I saw a couple of people talking about this. There, there are a couple of ways to read this that Michael Cohen is splitting with his uh, legal team. Yeah, right. Either you can take it at, at their word, he's not happy and he's going to look for new representation, and that's something that happens and it's not crazy. Or this is also something that people do when they begin cooperating. Yeah. And yeah. once you start cooperating with the authorities, you don't really need a big legal team. You need some legal counsel for sure, but you don't need this whole team that Michael Cohen has had around him. So he's shedding that team. But for why? Why? Is he actually going to start working? We'll know. We'll know soon. And the other thing, the other <coughs> concern about the White House is that you know, yes, Donald Trump could, and everybody, don't worry, Michael Cohen has nothing to worry about because Donald Trump will pardon him. 
Well, Michael Cohen is under investigation by state, by the New York authorities, and also by federal authorities. Donald Trump cannot pardon him from a state. Wait, really? I guess not. Yeah, sure. Right. Sure. So in that respect, <laughs> you know, what can you do for me, Donald? Nothing, right? So why wouldn't I cooperate in order to save my skin? Uh, anyway, we don't know everything that's going on, but we do also know this, uh, again, as reported this morning, is that a couple of people who have been recently questioned by uh, Michael, uh, by Robert Mueller and Mueller's team have told the Washington Post that a, 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 a huge part of their questions related to Michael Cohen and deals that he had made and with Donald Trump that they might have known about. In other words, both of these people told the Washington Post, I forget, they were Russians, forget their names, uh, that Michael Cohen was clearly, they felt, they left this interrogation believing that Michael Cohen was clearly a target of Robert Mueller's investigation. Um, so um, a lot there on the uh, on the Michael Cohen front. We'll continue uh, watching very, very closely. Uh, and finally, one other attorney, uh, this guy named, uh, what's his name, Rudy, Rudy, Rudy? Mm. Drawing a blank here. Yeah, geez. Well, <laughs> Rudy Giuliani uh, yesterday got a little uh, got a little bad news. Uh, Tuesday got a little bad news. He was told by his wife, Judith Nathan, that it's all over. Splitsville for Rudy and Ju- Ju- Judith Nathan. Guess why? Because according to Judith Nathan, uh, Rudy Giuliani was having a big, great big sort of public affair with a a hospital administrator up in northern New York. Um, Rudy denies it, uh, but there are photos of Rudy visiting this little hospital or clinic or something up in New York. He said he was up there only to learn about uh, health practices and how some hospitals uh, have new innovative ways of dealing with patients. Yeah, right, Rudy. Um, At any rate, he and Donald Trump, birds of a feather, baby. Lest we forget. Birds of a feather. Lest we forget that this is not the first time that Rudy publicly cheated on his wife. Remember, he announced at one of his marriages that he was getting a divorce. He announced at a news conference. Yeah. That's how he informed his wife. His wife. Yeah. Yeah. And he had his mistress staying with him while he was mayor of New York. And married to someone else. I mean, just brazenly, openly cheating on his marriage. That's why they get along. That's why they get along. That's a good point. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so shocked. I shouldn't be shocked. Yeah. The only question is who's learning from whom? <laughs> right. 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 Or who's <laughs> yeah. Who's t- who's teaching whom here? <laughs> I don't know. Uh on another front, there is it. it it's so funny today, you know the um, the New York Times. Uh, just one quick uh, uh, sentence here from one of the lead articles in the New York Times this morning. The headline is "Vote Secures." This is Tuesday's vote. The primary votes across the country. Vote secures Trump's grip on the GOP, and they're talking about Mark Sanford, for example, who dared oppose Trump down in South Carolina, lost his seat. Corey Stewart. Trumpier than Trump in Virginia is the, is the candidate for Senate in Virginia. And it talks here about how far that they have turned uh, from going, uh, particularly like on the issue of sanctions. This is the free trade party, used to be, who 
would bristle at the idea of any sanctions, totally oppose the idea of any sanctions. And now suddenly, because Donald Trump is throwing sanctions on Korea, I mean on uh, Mexico and on Canada, um, the the party that once here's here's the way the New York Times puts it, a party that once championed free trade has now largely turned to protectionism under Donald Trump. And the one voice in the Senate who is trying to say, no, this is not who we are as a Republican Party, this is not what we want to do, is Senator Bob Corker from Tennessee, and he's not getting any support because his fellow Republicans are afraid to cross Donald Trump. Or as he said yesterday, they're afraid they might poke the bear. Uh, Bob Corker, again on the floor yesterday, saying, come on, people, Canada is not our enemy. Hopefully, again, um, cooler heads will prevail. Um, Canada is not a country that we have trade issues with. Mm -mm. And he said, look, this is up to Congress to, to decide what our free trade policy or trade policy is or to impose any tariffs or not. And if we let the president continue to do this unilaterally, we are ceding our congressional power and just creating more presidential power. I do think it's an abuse of presidential authority to use the 232 waiver, and I've tried to pass a piece of legislation on the floor to counter that. He's tried, but he can't get report. He can't get the support of his fellow Republicans to stand up to Donald Trump on this trade issue so that we don't launch a trade war, which I think we already have. And I thought he picked a good word to describe what this slavish devotion, sudden slavish devotion to Donald Trump is uh, among Republicans. We're in a strange place. I mean, it's almost, uh, uh, you know, been a, it's becoming a cultish thing, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? Becoming a cult. Yeah. You know, I think that's a good word to describe it, is a cultish devotion, the slavish devotion to Donald Trump. And uh, in anticipation, one of the uh, big bit of news here before we uh, take our break, um, today is the day, Thursday, June 14, that the long-awaited Inspector General's report from the Department of Justice is going to be released. This is a report by Inspector General Michael Horowitz. You've heard little rumblings about it, perhaps. It's been, uh, it, it, it's been going on for the last 18 months. It's wrapped up. Uh, we're told it's a 500-page report. It's going to be uh, released in, to Congress this afternoon. And, and this is an investigation by the Department of Justice's Inspector General into the FBI's investigation of Hillary Clinton's emails. So the question is, did they do it right? Did they follow? And who was FBI director during that time? James Comey. Question, did they do it right? Did they follow the rules? Were they, did they do it in a way that interfered with the election in any way? Were they out to get Donald Trump and help Hillary Clinton? Or did they, in fact, hurt Hillary Clinton and help Donald Trump. Republicans, starting with Devin Nunez, over House Oversight Committee and the uh, chair of the Oversight Committee in the House, uh, they're all saying this is going to prove that the FBI 
was pro-Hillary Clinton, and they were out to help Hillary Clinton and prevent Donald Trump from being uh, from being elected president. Uh, that's what they say this report is going to say. Let's see. I'll bet you. I'm going to bet you right now this report is going to say just the opposite because the truth is, remember, there were two criminal investigations going on at the same time by the FBI into two presidential candidates, into Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. That news, whenever you had, and we said at the time, whenever you're a candidate and in one sentence you say your name and criminal investigation by the FBI in the same sentence, there's no way that's good for your campaign. That's the way it was for Hillary Clinton because we knew about that investigation. We never heard about the Trump investigation. Never heard until just about a couple of months ago. So um, I, I think the truth is, and this report is going to show, that the person who benefited electorally big time from the FBI investigation and from the way James Comey conducted it, dumping on Hillary Clinton in the middle of the summer, October 28, 10 days before the election, reopening the investigation, all of that severely hurt uh, Hillary Clinton and maybe was one of the, and certainly, I think, was a major factor in Donald Trump winning that election. Anyhow, that big report comes out today. I'm sure uh, we'll be talking about it tomorrow here on the Bill Press Show, but uh, keep your eyes and ears open for that. Scott Pruitt, can you believe it? Every day we say another strike against Scott Pruitt yet again. We'll find out all the latest when we uh, come back here from Rebecca Lieber from Mother Jones uh, joining us with the latest on what's happening at EPA. Thursday, June 14. Good to have you with us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. And it's a Thursday, Thursday, June 14, uh, Donald Trump's birthday today. How about that? Uh, he has already received a, a big um, warm birthday kiss from Vladimir Putin today. Vladimir Putin reaching out, wishing the president a happy birthday. Birds of a feather. Uh, and we are coming to you live from Washington, D.C., the Bill Press Show. Brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the great men and women of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa. We all live better because of their good work, and you can check out uh, their site at teamster.org. Uh, we've uh, been uh, covering a lot of territory already uh, today, uh, and uh, you've got some comments about what we've been talking about, Peter? Yes, indeed. Find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show, Salty Alter Ego on Twitter. Says half of the GOP already know that they can go down with Trump with the whole Russia S show. Do they know that if Trump becomes king, Congress is useless? Which is a good point. They keep enabling him up until the point that, like, maybe he'll have absolute power, and then they have absolutely no need for Congress. Um, but they don't get it, right? I mean, they've already ceded so much power to him. Yeah. And other presidents, too, in the war-making yeah. power particularly. On the primaries, which we talked about a lot yesterday, uh, we got a mm -hmm. tweet saying more of Trump's endorsed candidates have failed than conceded in the primary. By the way, right? that is true. That is yeah. true. There were a couple yeah. uh, that right. we talked about yesterday. The exceptions that Trump had. are people like Corey Stewart in Virginia. Right, 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 right. Uh, and also one other uh, uh, comment from Matthew Naughton says, any other president that would return from an important summit this empty-handed would assuredly be destroyed. Their political potency and relegated to one term. But yet, 
Donald Trump is making this into the biggest thing that any president has ever done, ever. Right. Anyway, you got a comment, find us on Twitter hey. at BP Show. What? what if I can do one other quick comment, one other yeah. quick comment. Yesterday we had uh, our oh, poll right. up, should California be split into three states? Uh, several, several uh, hundreds of votes on that. Uh, final tally. Fourteen percent say yes. Oh no, that's right. Okay, eighty-six percent say no. no. So it's as pretty I told lopsided. You, as I told you, it makes no sense at all. But by the way, the other thing I didn't realize, I was talking. I had a, a dinner with a uh, um, congressman, Jim Costa, from California, last night, and we were talking about this. Oh, nice. Uh, and uh, he pointed out, which I didn't realize, that if it passes in California, it still has to be approved by Congress and two thirds of the states. Because there was something called the Civil War. Right. I heard about this. Where we sort of decided that states can't just say we're no longer part of the United States and we're going to break up and be three instead of one. And number which Duh. Duh. It's a little wrinkle that I... Yeah. I didn't even think about that, no. but duh. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I it's not going to pass in California. No. No. But even if it did, it's not going to. Uh, as uh, Congressman Costa said, the chances are between slim and none, and slim just left town. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so, there you go. The other, the other difficulty, uh, well, it's just anyhow, it's not going to pass. So. Yeah. All right, let's yeah. get on to more serious matters here, like what's happening at the EPA. Rebecca Lieber joins us, who covers environmental issues for the great Mother Jones. Hi, Rebecca. Nice to see you. Hi. Yeah. So Scott Pro- Scott Pruitt can't stay out of trouble, right? I mean, we've gone everything from the security forces to the telephone booth to trying to get his wife a job with Chick-fil-A. What's the latest? Uh, yeah, it's been a full-time job to stay up on him. But, I'll bet. Um, for you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the latest uh, is... More examples of how he's used his office for private gain, and uh, there are some ethics laws that prohibit that. But he, uh, we've now found out he has uh, made he made several attempts to get his wife a job um, using his position at the EPA, also deploying EPA staff to get his wife a job. Um, in some cases, with uh, with his with past donors. Um, so just yesterday, the Washington Post reported how uh, he uh, landed his wife a job at a conservative group and uh, pulling some strings with uh, allies who've had uh, business before the EPA or in and in Oklahoma in the past. So uh, there's been a string of these examples. I know the Internet went kind of wild over Chick-fil-A and the yeah. uh, Trump, uh, the used Trump mattress that he also oh, deployed. Oh, right. That's staff. right. I forgot the mattress. Yeah. It, it's hard to keep track these days. There's, at this rate, uh, been dozens of scandals. And uh, and a couple of investigations underway? Is yeah, more than a couple. There's um, I, at least 12 uh, <laughs> what? Really? Uh, federal investigations. <laughs> And that's pending additional requests by Democrats for uh, a few others, including last week. Another Scott Pruitt development was uh, 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 six House Democrats uh, requested the FBI and I'm sorry, the Department of Justice to open a criminal probe of Pruitt. So this is the first time that 
uh, th- that request has been made that uh, there that Pruitt uh, might have a criminal wrongdoing. And where, where, I mean, his, but his, despite all of that, I guess, his job seems secure in the sense that the only person who could fire him is Donald Trump, and Donald Trump loves him. It's been as secure as ever, uh, with one major exception that happened yesterday. Senator Inhofe of Oklahoma, for the first time, turned on his longtime ally oh, wow. Whoa. in a radio oh, interview. Yeah. He's got his job because of Inhofe. Yeah, he and Inhofe uh, share, have shared staff. Pruitt hired away uh, Inhofe's uh, chief of staff at one point, and yesterday Inhofe uh said on radio that he if this behavior continued he can't he can't support Pruitt he called Pruitt a good friend uh but he did uh he drew a line which is rare for conservatives these days we yeah. haven't heard much of that and um he actually one other interesting thing he said was that Andrew Wheeler, the number two deputy at EPA, uh, would be a fine substitute for Pruitt. So, Holy cow. Uh, yeah, Whoa. Whoa. that things. So I got to update my pre-write that <laughs> Pruitt is fired again, just in case. By the way, I, the, the, Donald Trump wrote a tweet yesterday uh, about Claire McCaskill because there was a story yeah, yeah, that she right. had yeah, uh, right. used a private jet for some of her travel. For some of her time. campaign travel. For her campaign travel. Yeah. Uh, and he wrote, Senator Claire McCaskill of the great state of Missouri flew around in a luxurious private jet during her RV tour of the state. RVs are not for her. People are really upset. So phony. And it's kind of like, how can he say that with a straight face? I don't know how we keep asking this question. But considering the scandal and the abuse of private jet, just for starters, in his cabinet, for him to write something like that is absurd. Well, yeah. And there's, (laughs) first of all, I read that story and I kept trying to think, okay, now what's wrong with this? Now, like I'm from California, okay? When you're campaigning in California, candidates don't always ride bicycles, you know? Sometimes <laughs> they actually fly commercial and sometimes to cover a big state like that, you rent a private plane. I'm sure she's campaigning. Her campaign paid for that private plane. There's nothing... right. Criminal, wrong, illegal, about not taking an RV. There's a big difference between taking a private jet that you pay for with your campaign money and using taxpayer dollars. Exactly. Exactly. Night and day. I mean, I kept, why are they trying to make that an issue? So apparently, part of the, on the road, she was on her RV, and if she had to go, like, to the entire other end of the state, she'd take a plane. I mean, anyhow. But that gets us a little off track, but but related in what Scott Pruitt was doing was totally, totally different. So, um, but I'm going to come back to Senator Inhofe because we had heard also Senator Kennedy from Louisiana called him a moron last week. Um, there seemed to be some cracking in the in the in the in the wall of conservative support. Are you seeing that? Yeah, I mean Inhofe was a major support. is a oh, major the, development. The biggest, right. uh, but yeah. I I mean at the end of the day, it's Trump who makes the decision, and uh, he has defended Pruitt. We we know he Why? can change his mind. Um, yeah, well, his uh, Pruitt has delivered a lot of easy wins for Trump to now brag about. So he uh, has been in the process of rolling back dozens of regulations. He mm. is in the process of changing how the EPA looks at science and uses it to put forward new regulations, and that's a huge development. He's driven out 
hundreds of career staffers at the EPA and shrunk the budget there. But uh, and all of these things are fine with what Trump said he wanted to do. And the the problem is we're actually seeing some of those rollbacks already reversed in courts. So it's it's there's a lot of debate over how uh, secure these wins will be for Trump. And and, um, that's environmentalists are very are confident they will say over and over again that they will win in courts on a lot of these issues and eventually it's just a matter mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. years in some cases so uh but as long as Pruitt has Trump's support he's he's still got the office uh and what are the are, uh, these investigations are they they're not under the Republican controlled Congress, I'm sure they're not congressional investigations, or, or are they? I mean, are, are committees actually holding hearings on? So the one that I'm aware of is that is in Congress is uh, the House Oversight Committee actually began uh, requesting information about Pruitt's uh, flights right. and travel. Uh, most of the investigations are being done by the EPA Inspector General. Uh, and these are audits. These actually, yeah. there's some misunderstanding over whether the inspector general has any um, any power over Pruitt. And the answer is any anything that would be enforced the most, would be The most deferred. we can expect is that the House Oversight Committee or the inspector general would issue a report critical of Pruitt. Yeah, exactly. And it would certainly Which, add to the fodder for calling for his fire being fired but uh i mean how much more information can we get on this uh the though i mean pruitt's shown we still learn things every day about his behavior the last year and ongoing uh and what we hear from pruitt is no um acknowledgement that he did anything wrong the only thing i I guess right the only thing i've heard is he just blames that the people are doing this or writing these stories because they don't like the job he's doing at EPA. Yeah, he's had a a favorite catchphrase recently where he says, with great change comes great opposition. Oh. Uh, oh. (laughs) And that has been his response (laughs) on an assortment of stories. But at the same time, a lot of his top staffers... Yeah, he's not Gandhi, you know, or or Martin (laughs) Luther King. Yeah, it's an interesting phrase. And and a lot of his closest allies that he brought from Oklahoma have left recently. There have been at least four, um, maybe more high-level EPA staffers who've left the last few months. Uh, so you do see his circle shrinking and with Inhofe pulling back some of his support. Now, uh, the one thing that concerns me is that with all the attention to Pruitt the man and Pruitt his misdeeds, that we may be losing sight of Pruitt the damage that he's done at EPA. As you mentioned, rolling back these environmental regulations and um, you know, making it easier for the for the polluters right basically and and the coal industry and, and yeah i think with these ethics uh scandals and just how many of them are happening in the trump administration it's easy to lose sight of what the impact on people is here and um the reasons why it's so important to know where pruitt goes that he hides his public schedule reporters can't get information about where he's speaking and to whom uh, the reason that's important at the end of the day is we're talking about who is influencing the policies that he's putting out in these rollbacks. Um, so, and in some cases, issues that we don't find out about 
uh, that he's looking at changing EPA science until they're already doing it, and then it's too late. So, yeah, at the end of the day, it's important not to lose sight of the impact. But, I mean, this is a guy who has, from what I've read, meetings, after meetings, meetings, meetings with uh, oil industry, coal industry, and whatever representatives, very seldom meeting with environmental organizations. Yeah, there's like a crazy ratio of oil to environmentalist meetings. And also public health groups have a hard time getting in the door at the EPA. What is the... Um, what's the story with coal? I mean, you know, you hear from Donald Trump and, and Scott Pruitt all the all the importance about uh, the, the emphasis on clean coal and we're bringing the coal industry back and creating more jobs in the coal industry. What's really going on? Uh, well, there's been uh, really interesting and uh, alarming things happening from Department of Energy on coal of trying to subsidize it. Um, oh, right. And Rick Perry wanted yeah. to. Yeah crazy proposal there. Um, what's, I think, like, funny when you think about the EPA is not responsible for energy production. That's not Scott Pruitt's job. He likes to expand his job to include um, when he lobbied on, on um, or when ha- when he's traveled to other countries to talk about natural gas exports. That has very little to do with his mission at the EPA to protect the environment, mostly in the U.S., and he uh, on coal and when he's talking about um, bringing coal back, the, there's this myth on the right that if you um, if you reverse Obama era regulations, that coal will come back to its prime. But these are economic factors that have driven coal uh, to b- bankruptcy. It's uh, cheap natural gas and cheap renewables. And um, while regulations have probably sped up that timeline of of coal um, of switchovers from coal to gas, it is not the reason why coal has been declining, and that that uh, we're still seeing coal plants retire in the Trump administration. So uh, when they're saying we brought back coal, they've they've already failed on that. Yeah, in fact, I saw a number, uh, I, I and I looked and I couldn't find it again. That I think the Sierra Club pointed out. How many? It's a couple of dozen coal mines that have closed. Yeah, I think I think the number is around thirty something right now for uh, the Trump administration alone. Yeah, and under the Trump administration, so since he became president, yeah, like another thirty coal mines have shut down. Yeah, bringing the total, uh, they're they're more than halfway to their goal of shutting down coal plants. So two, I believe it's two seventy of. Uh, of the nation's like 500 something coal plants have already retired. Uh, and let's <laughs> let's point out again, the reason they've been retired or the reason they've been shuttered is not because of environmental regulations, it's because nobody wants to buy coal anymore because they can get solar or wind or geothermal or whatever cheaper. Yeah. Correct? And and that's uh now you see DOE trying to take these uh, these new lengths to uh, prop up coal. So uh, you see, you see that admission in the Trump administration that coal isn't competitive. But of course, Trump and Pruitt wouldn't ever admit that. DOE, of course, being the Department of Energy, which is one of the three departments that uh, uh, candidate um, Rick Perry was going to eliminate. Yeah. Except he couldn't remember that one. Yeah. And now he's now in, hopefully he does. And now, now he's in charge of it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <coughs> there have also been stories that Pruitt and others, and you alluded to this a little earlier, um, they don't really like the word climate change. 
uh, and you, it's not popping up as much. Or, yeah, because you've referenced science a couple of times too. I mean, isn't there an, hasn't there has been an effort to either um, edit or censor the language in 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 that these department staffers use in their reports? Yeah, the EPA's removed uh, climate pages from its website, and uh, you've seen that agent across agencies. It's not just the EPA, of course. And are they doing this from you know orders from above? Well, yeah, there's actually been more documents of how the Trump administration has uh, instructed agencies to pull back on climate. There was there was one interesting FOIA that came out of uh, the White House directing uh, all parts of government to congratulate Trump on pulling out from the Paris climate deal last year. And uh, the EPA, the Supreme Court years ago decided that if climate change poses, if the science shows that climate change poses a threat to human health, the EPA has an obligation to regulate it. That's been decided. And the Trump administration just pretends that the science either isn't settled or that Supreme Court case never existed. Right. So, I mean, there are like um, climate change cops in these agencies that make sure that anything, any official report does it, doesn't contain those words? Is there like a list of words that people can't use? Or uh, well, yeah, there's what do they been. Call it in, <laughs> what do they call it instead? Or is there a euphemism that they? I think know? they just ignore it um, or just leave it out. Um, Pruitt's political so, staff goes through. Uh, there, there were reports last year that they were going through grants to uh, search for words like climate yeah. change and cut the grant. So. Um, I'm it's unclear if they're still doing that, um, though they certainly they'd rather just ignore it. Um, I'm not sure if they have a substitute word for that. That's an interesting one. Um, you do see from other you, we've seen a bit, especially after all these hurricanes last year, um, I, like words like resiliency um, can sometimes be substituted on, on the right for um, having a more um, a coastal, uh, a flood-proof area. Mm. And they won't say climate change, though. Yeah. Uh, where? What is actually happening with the Paris Accords? Are we in or out? We are still in um, until 20, the, actually the day after the 2019, the 2020 election, sorry, uh, so the day after the next presidential election is when we uh, is the first date that Trump can actually pull the U.S. out. So he says he intends to do that and has shown no signs of of reversing himself. Uh, but he um, uh, we are still in the deal for now. We are nominally involved in negotiations as um, countries hammer out. Um, the next steps of the agreement. And that's another, I think, m- mistaken um, view is there is still progress on the Paris climate deal with or without the U.S. And countries like China have actually uh, stepped up their leadership. So it still exists for sure. The yeah. Paris Accords exist. It's sort of like the G7 exists without <laughs> us now, right? Uh, and uh, And officially, even if we're not doing that much, we are still in. So the day after Donald Trump is defeated for re-election uh, is the day that we get officially are out of the Paris Accords. And he says, he, win or lose, he'll pull the plug at that time, right? 
Yeah, and he. But and then January twenty one, the new president yeah, can exactly. put us back in. The the one problem there is we are not. It's important to also meet those targets and yeah, cutting right. greenhouse gas emissions. So and we're not doing anything yeah. in the meantime toward that goal. Yeah, well, there's hope that economic trends will still push renewables up and coal down. But, yeah, it's uh, probably not fast enough. It definitely isn't fast enough. Uh, well, you know, Rebecca, we better let you go because I just heard the sirens of, of Scott Pruitt's motorcade taking him to work <laughs> at yeah. about 8 o'clock, right? The 19 vehicles, so you better catch up with him, find out what he's up to today. Yeah. <laughs> you can follow Rebecca at Mother Jones, motherjones.com. When we come back, Congressman Don Beyer from Virginia joining this us on the Bill Press is Show. This the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Well, I hope you all slept well because there is no nuclear threat anymore. No, not at all. Hey, hello, everybody. That's what Donald Trump says. He made a handshake with uh, Kim Jong un, and it is all over, if you believe that. <laughs> The Bill, Pre- Bill Press Show on a uh, Thursday, Thursday, June 14. Uh, great to see you today. Thank you for joining us as we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day, what's happening uh, just down the street from us uh, in the United States Congress, what's happening at the White House around the country and around the globe, we'll tell you what's going on, and your job is to tell us what you think about it all, send, uh, give us your comments. Uh, tell us, give, uh, Send your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. On Twitter, at BP Show. And joining us in studio for the next half hour, a good friend from uh, Virginia's 8th Congressional District, a good congressman, Don Beyer. Hey, congressman, good to see you. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for the invitation to be on your show. No, hey, thanks for coming in. And among other things... We got to catch up to date on Virginia politics. Lots going on. Yeah, yeah. And and, and there with just coming out of the primaries on uh, Tuesday, and something else I've been very interested in. I know you are a big champion of ranked choice voting. I am. I, I think it, it can solve an awful lot of the problems that we yeah. have in our country. Okay. Yeah. We and we've saw we've seen that now in San Francisco in the mayor's race, yeah. and this week in Maine, right, uh, in their right. primary up there. So. Lots to cover with uh, with Congressman Don Beyer, and we will we'll jump right into it. But as you know, Congressman, uh, at the top of the hour, we have to get the first headlines, big headlines from Peter Ogburn. So we say, but first. This that's his clue. That's it. I don't go that. until I hear he those two words, work. baby. But first. A couple of other stories making news this morning. CBS News has a report out, came out yesterday afternoon. The two very mm-hmm. visible members of the Trump administration will be leaving 
Those two uh, visible members of the Trump administration are Sarah Huckabee Sanders and Raj Shah. They are saying that there have been a couple of different sources that have talked to them and said they will be leaving. Now, Sarah Huckabee Sanders put out a tweet yesterday saying, quote, does CBS News know something I don't know about my plans and my future? I was at my daughter's year-end kindergarten event and they ran a story about my plans to leave the White House without even talking to me. I love my job and I'm honored to work for Donald Trump. So reports that Sarah Huckabee Sanders, number one press secretary, and Raj Shah, her deputy, could be leaving. Could be gone. Could be gone. She denies the story, which means it's probably true. If she denies it, it means it's probably true. Let me tell you, as part of the White House press corps, that would be a huge giant. There is nobody who is, uh, I think, closer to, well, who better reflects Donald Trump, as bad as I think it is, than Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She speaks his language and she... uh, she lies for him as well as he lies for himself. Huh? <laughs> yeah. If you were online at all yesterday, I'm sure you saw the story of the raccoon. The raccoon in Minneapolis, St. Paul. There was a 25-story building that a raccoon actually climbed up the side of the building. People were in suspense. They were worried that it was going to fall. I mean, they, he, the raccoon got way up there. In fact, one... Uh, I saw that raccoon it was climbing. Nuts. It went internet sensation. Yeah, it but was nuts. I, you know, seriously. A Do you ever think raccoons <laughs> don't have suction cups on their no, paws? No, they, no. They, they, they do have a, a good little hands. Yeah. Well, that, so, so there was actually uh, this particular story from the Washington Post. Suzanne McDonald, she uh, <laughs> uh, works at York University. She says that raccoons, as she put it, has, quote, quite a bit of superpowers. They have amazing climbing ability, and they don't need much traction to sort of, like, climb up a vertical uh, wall. What was, what do you think the raccoon thought was waiting for? (laughs) Well, what was waiting were some save-a-heart, have-a-heart traps with uh, food in them, and they uh, captured the raccoon. He he was hungry when he got there, had a little snack, and then let him go, and he's out in the wild somewhere. us on Twitter at BP show. This is the Bill Press Show. Yep, according to the White House, uh, this is the way they sum up the Trump farm coming out of the Singapore summit. This is the way they uh, sum up the Trump administration foreign policy. Quote, unquote, we're America, bitch. Yeah, that's what one White House aide told reporters uh, yesterday. Um, and of course, Donald Trump following up from the summit saying, there is no longer any nuclear threat from North Korea. It's done. It's over. Sleep well, America, because that whole thing we were worried about last year doesn't exist anymore because he shook hands with Kim Jong-un. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show on the Thursday, June 14. Good to have you with us and great to welcome back to our studio Congressman Don Byer from Virginia, Virginia's 8th Congressional District. Congressman, good to see you. Thank what you, was, What was your take on this uh, Singapore summit? Should we be as uh, kind of euphoric and positive as Donald Trump is no, look, telling us? Absolutely not. First of all, I want him to succeed. Um, you know, I'm not a fan, but but a, a more peaceful world <laughs> is good. And I certainly want there to be dialogue. 
It's a whole lot better than throwing curses back and forth at each other. But it's also extraordinarily naive and stupid to think that you can have one conversation and the threat's gone away. Look how long and how hard nation after nation worked to put together the Iran deal, and they didn't have nuclear weapons. They were just on some kind of path. Yeah. Here we know, you know, Kim's got, I don't know, 20, 30 nuclear weapons, and there's no plan that we can tell to to take them apart, to denuclearize, to take apart. And we've also seen that Kim had struck deals with earlier presidents and then lied about them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a... We, we need a huge um, verifi- verification um, plan. Plus, we've not seen any details at all. It seems like you know, Trump went into the meeting completely unprepared. seems like he got a, a warm <laughs> handshake that, yeah, I'll, okay, I'll denuclearize and, and, and trust, which is a terrible way to do diplomacy or, or arms control. Yeah, and if, when you look at it, we, as, as you pointed out, right, we don't know exactly how many they have, but we know they have them, right? We don't yeah. know how many they have. We don't know where they are. We haven't been given any uh, opportunity to inspect them. They have not agreed they're going to dismantle the ones they have. They haven't agreed they're not going to continue building more. Exactly. It's, right? I mean, it, you know, so I'm glad that we're not throwing curses at each other. And certainly the short-term threat of them sending a nuclear weapon to Hawaii or Guam or, or L.A. seems to be less. But we're a long way. In fact, it seems like the worst case is that Trump has gone over there and legitimized North Korea as a nuclear power just added them to Pakistan, India, et cetera. And, uh, and then we get into a containment or a mutual assured destruction. But way, way different than what Obama and all the other nations were able to achieve with Iran. And it could be years before we know whether there's any real substantive change out of this handshake. Yeah. And in the meantime, he's legitimized uh, Kim as some kind of normal world leader. Well, uh, and saying that he's tough, this is a guy who's, you know, he's, assassinated his Brutal. uncle and his brother-in-law and yeah. just the, all the extra ter- extrajudicial killings that um, this is a, a really bad dictator. That doesn't mean that you don't deal with them because we do want uh, a denuclearization. We want to make progress. But but to just brush it all off as, as unimportant. Uh, it is uh, it, it's unbelievable how we've gone from using Donald Trump's old, own phrases, the madman, the maniac who would not hesitate to kill his own people, that was like in October, right, or November. Yeah. And now he's a very smart guy. He's funny. He loves yeah. his people. And, That's and, right. and he's yeah. so tough. And look how successful he is, how young yeah. he is. And, yeah, he's and tough. You just had to say, how naive or just foolish is this president that we have? It's, it's very, very discouraging. Um, however, I, I'm glad they're talking. But uh, I, I wish there were some adults in the room. That was the other thing that sort of amazed me. They had a translator in the room with them and no one else. Mm-hmm. So none of the, the wise people who had done deal after deal, um, or even a Mike Pompeo who's new at it but at least seems to be you know a, an adult, um, to, to keep notes and to put it into a formal agreement. You know. Right. And when you look at the, at the so-called communique afterwards, it was very bland. It really... Yeah, yeah. D- didn't didn't really. Yeah, compare that to the joint uh, JCPOA, the Joint Committee Plan of Action that came out of Iran. World mm-hmm. of difference. Yeah. Right, yeah. That actually made the world much, much safer, and we can trust it, and we can verify it. You know, several people said, I think, it was, uh, is that, okay, you want um, North Korea to give up its nuclear weapons and, uh, and uh, in some kind of agreement. Well, we sort of had an agreement like that in a box, right, with Iran, 
He was just taking that and said, okay, now it's working over here. And it was working, the Iran yeah, nuclear yeah. deal, until well, we pulled uh, out of it. Trump had verified again and again and again that Iran was living up to all yes. elements of it. Yeah. And yet what we have here is how how is North Korea going to trust the United States and Donald Trump will keep its word when we pulled out of Paris that we had committed to, pulled out of JCPOA that we had committed to. Uh, this is an erratic, reckless man. And uh, and it's going to be really tough to make a, a meaningful deal. Now, uh, That's on both sides, by the way. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and, and this comes on the heels of, and it almost, um, of what happened in Singapore, just sort of took any, the, the news, the, the took all the news away from the G7 summit almost, right, which was not our finest hour either. Uh, the president, before he gets there, slapping new tariffs on Mexico, the EU, and on Canada, and then suggesting that we bring Russia back yeah. because they're such, they're such good friends. And, and inciting national security with Canada yeah. and then confusing, you know, Canada with the War of eighteen twelve. I mean, it's just the, 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 what the, you mean? The they didn't burn down the White House. No. no. In, in fact, I've seen the wall in, in Quebec City. And it was to protect Canada from the U.S. invasion, <laughs> which has been talked about over the years. Uh, but but to go out there and and insult again and again our best friends, our world leaders, um, is really quite discouraging. Where? And it seems to me the only people you can say nice things about are are the the, the worst players in the world. Putin, yeah, oh, China, yeah. North Korea, um, Saudi Arabia. You know, he uh, it's pretty pretty sad. No, I mean, it, it, in er, the, Erdogan and, and Turkey. You know, the he, yeah. he seems to love dictators, love people who will kill their own people, um, but uh, n- not our longtime allies. And meanwhile, and, insulting our longest and strongest allies. Yeah, was Macron of France and Trudeau and and uh, Canada and Theresa May of the UK, Angela Merkel of Germany. One by one, he's yeah. attacked them all. Right. We got uh, trade wars with or, Canada, with Mexico, with the EU. Because with, where where do you come down uh, on the uh, on tariffs? The whole issue of I'm tariffs. very I'm I'm very much against almost all of them. You know, you look at it's. Since we liberalized international trade back in 1948, Bretton Woods Agreement, and we've had the longest sustained period of economic growth in the history of mankind, we're lifting something like 170,000 people a day out of poverty still right now. Um, so I was a very strong supporter of TPP and TTIP, and there are things, obviously, we can always do to make these trade agreements better, but the retreat from trade is inevitably pushing people back into poverty, destitute poverty, not just in America, but around the world. And when he throws these wrong trade figures out all the time, he, he can, continues to neglect services. He continues to neglect uh, the impact it will have. So it's, uh, you know, I, I talked to one. What does it mean for American consumers? Well, it's going to make everything a lot more expensive um, for American consumers, but it's also going to cost a lot of American jobs. I talked to one, one company the other day, a big company, said, yeah, we, hey, we made $200 million on this tax deal. And it's cost us $700 million so far on the aluminum and the steel tariffs. So I just don't know any business leader that is for it. The farmers are scared to death. Um, it's, a, it's just it's very bad economics. Now, and, and virtually every economist except Peter Navarro, who can't find anybody who agrees with him, thinks that this is a terrible thing. Right. Uh, now, he um, has also talked about 
Uh, and Congressman, you uh, wear another hat, or used to wear another hat as a car, de- car dealer yeah. uh, for years and years. Your family, very successful uh, in this uh, Washington area. Uh, he's talked about tariffs now on new cars, foreign cars coming yeah, in. I don't mind telling you, that's existentially frightening. Because he's talking about 25% yeah. Yeah. tariff on new cars. There are 600,000 Americans who work in in import automobile dealerships. That's a lot of people who could be unemployed or, or thrown out. And by the way, uh, Ford, General Motors, Chrysler, they're not for this because so many of their parts and cars are built el- elsewhere. Just as we have a lot of international nameplate cars that are built here, I was just but they'd still be that. subject to the tariffs because well, and engines are coming from here and brake pads yeah, are coming right. from there. And yeah. it, we have a global supply chain that that where a lot of things are constructed in the U.S., but um, where they're maximizing value everywhere. And it's really good for American consumers. Can you really tell what's a foreign car and what's not a foreign car today? Right? No, it's... Uh, I mean, American... Cars with American brand names on them are made... Parts of those cars are made all over the world, right? Absolutely. And yeah. cars with a foreign brand name on them, parts of those cars are made here in the United States, if not the whole car, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating because, you know, most car dealers um, are Republican. Probably most voted for Donald Trump. And a lot of these car manufacturing facilities are in states that voted for Trump. You know, in, in South states. Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, they're all going to be really, really hurt if these tariffs actually go forward. Um, it's, 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 it's terrible economics. It's also bad politics. Right. Uh, and uh, can, can the, there's the question I know that Bob Corker is raising these days, uh, trying to get Republicans to stand up and say, no, this is not where we want, how we want to go. As a party, this is not us, right? We're the party of free trade. We always have been. Corker can't get his Republicans now to stand up against Donald Trump. Does the president have the uh, unilateral authority to impose these tariffs? Uh, yeah, I don't know the law well enough, Bill, on that. I'm very supportive of the Corker legislation. I think if he does, we need to take it away. Because I, I think I don't think anyone thought that. I'm not. Be, yeah. I don't know the law either, but I think by having listened to Bob Corker, that the exception is if, if a national in, na- in terms of national security, the president can do it. And, so. and that's and he keeps casting it in those terms. It's like Mexico, Canada. Yeah. Uh, give me a break. And it's not only stupid; it's also insulting to people that are are close friends and partners on so many different things. Right. Yeah. So Congress could stand up here maybe and say, no, 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 we don't want to go in this direction. But again, as Bob Corker said, he can't get his fellow Republicans yeah. willing to stand up to, as he called it yesterday, to poke the bear. He's afraid, they're afraid they'll poke the bear, right? And, and what you saw on Tuesday is that th- those few members yes. of Congress who are willing to poke the bear, uh, Mark Sanford being the best cl- case, lost his primary. He was one of the very few Republicans willing to stand up and say, no, a lot of what this guy's doing is wrong. Uh, Martha Roby in um, Alabama, she didn't want to be poking the bear when Trump had the famous uh, grabbing tape. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, and she, she, as a woman, appropriately said, this is unacceptable. Uh, well, she, she only got something like 40% in her primary. Um, a Democrat ran against her as a Republican and still got more than 3%. So they, I think the Republicans have seen that the, uh, Trump is still very popular with their primary base, and therefore they're afraid. And so you, you find the only ones that are willing to stand up and speak truth to power are the ones who are retiring. Mm-hmm. Bob Corker, Charlie Dent, Jeff Flake, Ryan Costello, you know, uh, 
I admire them, but I wish they'd done it while they were in office, too. Right, right. But uh, it, it's pretty scary, I think, when you look at uh, in the Republican Party ranks, right? It's the party of Trump today. Yeah, right? yeah. And I, I think if you no. got them aside, uh, most of them would, would resent it and be fearful of it, but they're also afraid to stand up to it. So we saw this play out in Virginia, which gets us to the Virginia yeah, yeah. primary, where um, Corey Stewart, who uh, challenged uh, Ed Gillespie and almost beat him in the Republican primary a couple of years ago for governor, coming back now in the Republican primary for uh, U.S. Senate yeah. uh, and is the nominee against, uh, up against uh, Senator Tim Kaine. Tell us about Corey Stewart. Well, all you need to know is that he was Trump's campaign chairman in Virginia, and Trump fired him because he was too far out. <laughs> you know, if the outrageousness gets beyond on Trump world, you know you're in trouble. So here's a guy who promised right, he's to too run. Trump, he's too Trump for Trump. Too huh? Trump for Trump. And, and uh, he, he literally has promised the most vicious campaign Virginia's ever seen. Is uh, no hold barred. He's got a uh, scorched earth policy. Uh, and, and his his big thing so far right now is basically the— that the, the Confederacy will rise again. Um, he's Even though he's from Wisconsin or Michigan or something like that. He, oh, oh, he's a transplant in trans- Virginia? Yeah, yeah. Oh. A, a real Virginian would never do this. Um, but he's out there you know, trying to pr- preserve uh, the, uh, the, 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 the culture, the heritage of slavery. And it's just, it's, he's wacky. Um, you remember when he was chair of the, I think he's still chair of the Prince William County Board, his big deal was trying to make sure that every immigrant without papers was denied services, was thrown out of the county, and had an immediate impact on car sales, grocery store sales, rentals. Um, mm. It really pushed the county back a lot. Yeah. In the meantime, the county has continued to get more and more diverse. Plus, he has, uh, has, has he's also come out in support of all the Confederate monuments and statues yeah, and yeah, keep yeah, them up yeah, and yeah. revere them. And Yeah. yeah. And, and he was, uh, and obviously... Now, it had, had associated himself with some of the major white supremacists. In the last two weeks, he's decided that was a bad idea, and now has said uh, these white supremacist leaders are not his best friends. But. Well, it, one gets the impression from afar, at least, uh, and it's not that far. I can see Virginia from here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Palin said about Russia, um, that Virginia is moving as a state is moving in the opposite direction. Yeah. I mean, I, two— Democratic governor, two Democratic senators. And we just uh, won, a, you know, 15 seats and tied for a 16th in the last general election, general yeah, election last yeah, November. That right. was very exciting. We right. went from 66-34 to 51-49. And as a consequence, um, you know, Terry McAuliffe in his four years as governor spent every day trying to expand Medicaid. And uh, when we got 21-19 Republican, 51-49 Republican in the two mm-hmm. houses— we actually, Ralph Northam, our new governor, was able to get a compromise and move forward. So yeah, yeah, he signed no, that legislation huge. Friday. Um, some said it may have been the most consequential legislation signed in Virginia in 100 years. Um, so 400,000 more people in Virginia are eligible for insurance, mm-hmm. which is terrific. Which, yeah, incredible that that, 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 that happened. And, and again, these were Republicans who might have been in, so inclined, but, you know, they didn't. Yeah. But uh, we, we had but, a Republican speaker that was very much against it, but he retired. Right, but you know when you get closer. So, so again, so. that to me, a, a further proof that Virginia as a state is moving in the opposite direction. Corey Stewart seems to be going, you know, yeah. uh, swimming upstream and going against the flow. Certainly, yeah, and I, I certainly think the the sensible 
Virginia Republicans were the ones who were going with uh, Nick Freitas, Freitas, I'm sure how you say his name, Yeah. Um, who, who felt, hey, let, let's go with a more mainstream Republican against Tim Kaine. But they didn't win. Um, now and, the question is whether those sensible, as you call them, Republicans will vote for Tim Kaine or whether they'll hold their nose and say, well, we don't like Corey Stewart, but he yeah. is an R. You'll, you'll, you'll get some of both. But I, I think an awful lot. Will, there will be an awful lot. I, first of all, I can't see any independent voting for Corey Stewart. And I think you'll get an awful lot mm-hmm. of That's you know, moderate Republicans voting for Tim, too. I mean, he's a very acceptable, um, wonderful, respected leader. In California today, the Republican Party is in third place. Democrats, independents, and then Republicans. Yeah. Is, is that close to that in Virginia? Do you know the— No, no, I don't think it's—I mean, it's still a purple state. Yeah. Um, and, and we see that, well, our, our, our House delegation, for example, is seven Republicans and four Democrats. Um, but that could change. We nominated a bunch of very good people on Tuesday for seats that are now held by Republicans. Uh, as I've seen, there are four or five— Competitive seats in Virginia that were yeah. where we they're strong Democratic candidates. Yeah, we, we particularly we, women. Hmm? Yeah, we look first at at Virginia's tenth, which is sort of McLean and Loudoun County, Leesburg, Winchester. Um, Steve Israel, who'd been in Congress for many years, wrote an article yesterday in Politico. The five seats that would have the greatest impact on being able to pass a gun safety measure, as Barbara Comstock, who is a colleague, mm-hmm. um, represents the tenth now, but. She, she has an A rating from the NRA and is like the third highest NRA recipient of campaign contributions. And Jennifer Wexton, who won the primary, um, is obviously going to be very good on gun safety measures, expanding background checks, things like that. And that will be, uh, I suspect that will be a part of that campaign. So tell us about ranked choice voting. Uh, Why do you think it, uh, it helps and can people just kind of play games with it and no, tr- game the system? It's hard to game it if you do it right. It, it, there's a lot of misunderstandings about it. But I was actually fascinated by the San Francisco election the other day because uh, – well, let me, let me back up a minute. Okay. So there's a, a, a now a, a fairly well-established political science um, tenet that single-member districts with plurality voting, first past the post, you can win with 38% or 42 whatever – inevitably lead to highly polarized two-party systems, which is exactly what we have. You know, you look at the votes on the House floor, unless it's yeah. 422 to nothing, it's 241 to 194. It mm-hmm. exactly lines up with party. And so the idea is, how do you break that? And, and right now we have a system where if you're a Democrat in a safe seat like mine, everyone's seeing who can be the most progressive or the most liberal. In a Republican seat, they're constantly worried about, is there somebody mm-hmm. from the right going to take them out? Um, so the idea then is to do two things. Number one, move back to multi-member districts. So in Northern Virginia, for example, instead of having three one-member districts, you'd have a three-member district. And this is the way Congress was elected until 1843. There are other states that were still using it into the 1960s. Jeanette Rankin, the first woman elected to the mm-hmm. U.S. Congress, was elected from a multi-member district. And the cool part about this you, is— A multi-member district meaning more than one— more than one person yeah. would represent the district. Right. For example, Maryland's uh, lower uh, house in Annapolis is multi-member. Virginia's was until 1981. Uh, if you if you just do multi-member district and whoever gets the most votes wins, you have the danger that it could really prejudice minorities. The mm-hmm. reason it was thrown out in Virginia because it violated the Voting Rights Act. So you have to couple it with ranked choice voting, 
where you would say, if they're, I'm in a three-member district, you'd, you vote one, two, and three. Yeah. Um, and only your first vote counts, um, unless your first vote person doesn't win, and then your second vote, second yeah. vote grows up. So then, instead of, uh, I'm then trying to get some of those Republicans who might vote for Barbara Comstock to vote for me, too, put me down number two or number three. She's trying to appeal to some of the, the Democrats who would vote for Jerry Connolly or for me. So all of a sudden, you're moving, people are moving towards the center, moving towards cooperating. Um, we all share a district, and we're going to try to find ways to not, not carve it up, but partner on lots of things that happen. And um, so it's, it's, and by the way, it does away with gerrymandering in one fell swoop. Because all of a sudden, you don't have to worry about how ugly the districts are. Mm-hmm. They don't look like you know, broken mm-hmm. back pterodactyls. They're, they're big and, and therefore necessarily compact and contiguous. The other thing that's exciting for me is you'll get a lot more women elected to Congress if you do this. Right now, if you look over at the Republican uh, half of the Congress, that they're, they're all they all look like me, middle-aged white men, you know. <laughs> and and yet, right now, I think forty-nine percent of our candidates this year are women uh, on the Democratic side. I think it's like twelve percent on the Republican side. But if you do a multi-member district, they're far more likely to put people of color or women on their ticket. They don't want to have a ticket of three white men or five oh, white women, it. right? Yeah. Um, and so we've seen in places that have these surges in, in the diversity of the people that are actually getting elected. They just used it in San Francisco mm-hmm. last week. So you had a really diverse crew. But the woman that was in third place, an African-American woman, a London Breed, I think is her name. Right. Um, the first and the second place people never got to 50%. So as, they began, as people began dropping off, um, other people's second or third choices were London Breed. They moved up, moved up, and she ended up winning. Yeah. And, and she was the African-American woman. Right. The first African-American woman mayor of uh, San Francisco. Um, uh, ever, which yeah, is uh, yeah. surprising. And uh, Mark Leno, who came, ended up coming in second, uh, he was actually, so he he would have been the first openly gay mayor yeah, uh, yeah. Of, of San Francisco. They had, a, they had an excellent lineup. Judy Kim, who's the supervisor also, right, right. Uh, was one of the first ones to, to drop out. Um, the, the cool and, part about it is you go, this the primary we had in, in the 10th District of Virginia, we had six very good candidates. And Jennifer Wexton won with 43%, which is pretty convincing. She could also have won with 20% or 18%. Then you get the phenomenon where 82% of the people didn't want her, and she's the nominee. Whereas ranked choice voting um, in all math, game theory, political theory shows this maximizes voters' preferences. Uh, Is it something, do you think, that um, I guess it's up to the states uh, or whether they're go- they'll adopt this uh, or not, or up to cities or counties or whatever. You know, so a lot of cities, counties are doing it. Maine uh, just adopted yes. it last year and then reinforced it on Tuesday, which mm-hmm. is great. But this uh, to do this at for Congress, which is where I'm most worried, um, doesn't require a constitutional amendment. There's nothing in the Constitution that mandates single member districts. So we could do it with one you know one fell swoop, the the Fair Representation Act, and then um, literally. You mandate this for federal elections across the for country. For federal elections for yeah. all congressional districts. Right. You, you have legislation in to do this? I, I do, and we've, we're slowly building our uh, team. Yeah, I, I'm not naive. This is paradigm shift big time. So it could take a long time to educate people to it. And and to overcome people's fears that there could be gaming or there would be prejudice against a certain group. Or, um, But you're, what it really does is it gives the voters a lot more choices. By the way, and it's also, it also shouldn't be partisan. Right now in Massachusetts, um, I think we have eight or nine members of Congress. Everyone's a Democrat. Uh, 
and, and in uh, all those Midwestern states, Nebraska, Oklahoma, um, you, know, the, you, you, you basically you have significant minorities of the opposite party who never get any representation. You rank choice voting, it ends up being a little more proportional. You'd have a couple of Republicans representing Massachusetts and Connecticut, and you have a couple of Democrats in Kansas and Nebraska and Oklahoma and places like that. So once again, it's something that brings us together rather than pushes us farther apart. Right. Uh, it, as you say, it's a, it's a real paradigm shift. And I think <coughs> where we're going to see it is with, as more and more cities and counties adopt it, then yeah, know, people have to get comfortable More experience with it, with yeah, it yeah, and then yeah. more support. More David su- Brooks wrote a, a really great piece yes. on it 10 days ago. And the New York Times had an essay this weekend on it. And, and I like it because... And, uh, and we had the head of the organization, I think his name Rob... Rob Ritchie. Yeah. Rob Ritchie yeah. in studio last week. Who oh, was good. Explaining oh, good. It too. Yeah, great, great. right. It's, well, rare that, it's, attention on it. it's rare that we agree with David Brooks. <laughs> That's true. Right. <laughs> yeah. He got this one no, right. His, uh, so his yeah. piece piqued our interest. We got Rob Ritchie yeah. and everyone to talk to you about it as well. So yeah, yeah. thanks for the good job you're doing, Congressman, yeah, on many different you, fronts. And thanks for coming in. Uh, we're going to find out more about the summit from Joe Sirincioni from the Plowshares Fund uh, coming up next here uh, on the Bill Press Show. Uh, Congressman Don Beyer from Virginia. Quick break. We'll be right back. one Swing a high drive to right center field. Deep. Forget about it. Juan Soto has another home run at Yankee Stadium. That one's out of sight. He clears the Yankees' bullpen and gives the Nationals the lead 5-4. to four. This is the Bill Press Show. Yeah, watch out, Yankees. The Nats are in town, and Juan Soto is up to bat. How about it? Hey, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go on the Thursday, June 14. I knew you'd like that, Joe. Yeah. That you know. was great. <laughs> Let's what? talk about that. That's the big news of the day. It is. Joe Sirincioni here, Nats fan number one. <laughs> what a lot to celebrate in sports this week, huh? Juan Soto, first teenager ever to hit two home runs at Yankee Stadium. 19 years old, killed it, won the game for them, scored four RBIs. Mickey Mantle didn't even do that when he was a 19-year-old playing for the Yankees. I yeah. think back when I was 19 years old. <laughs> <laughs> you coulda? You coulda? You shoulda. And I just don't think I could have done that. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible, man. What a great uh, what a great find here for the Nats, huh? Yeah. And this this comes on top of the Stanley Cup earlier in the week. I yes. mean, Joe, God. What a week. I know. Yeah. This is great. You, Except we, for everything else that's going on in the world. <laughs> but here at right. home, here. <laughs> it's great to be in D.C. Yeah. Uh, so were you out for the big uh, Caps parade? Or I was not. I was, I was in New York. Uh, I was providing uh, commentary on MSNBC Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday. On, uh, on, about the, on the Korea uh, Summit. Oh, I was going to say about the uh, <laughs> Major League Baseball. <laughs> they didn't let me talk about the Nats no, up there. Is I, that right? I don't know. What, maybe they didn't know my expertise in that area. Uh, so I want to talk to you about the uh, yeah. about the summit, Joe, but I do have to tell you first, I was uh, uh, yesterday went out just for a little lunch, and I took some reading material, including one of my favorite magazines. Ah. I've, I've subscribed for a long time. Uh, the Nation, uh, this week's Nation, which has Cynthia Nixon on the cover. Yeah, and cover. I'm uh, sitting there uh, having my lunch and reading The Nation, and I discover an article by Joe Cirincione. Page 22. There it is. Beautiful in the graphics. Magazine. Yeah, indeed. I was very nice proud. Job. I said, hey, Joe's coming in tomorrow morning. Uh, the headline on your article is, Democrats need to say a farewell to <sighs> arms. 
What kind of propaganda are you putting out here, Joe? What is the message? Well, and this actually, I thought it was really, really well, well done on this big survey that you did. Thank you yeah. very much. I, I wrote this with my friend uh, Guy Saperstein, who's one of the founders of the Democracy Alliance. Remember this group that thought right, that the Democrats had to do something more about uh, defense after the Iraq War? And he uh, and we're we're talking about how the Democrats ha- can be bolder on defense. That we we did a we did a poll testing out various messages on defense, and it turns out that the progressive message on defense, that we should be, should be spending less on the military, that we should be involved in fewer overseas uh, adventures, resonates with the American public. The American public overwhelmingly, by, by two to one, three to one, agree with the progressive message on defense rather than the, the hardline conservative message. We don't have to be af- afraid of our values. We don't have to try to get to the right of the of the Republicans, as some Senate Democrats have been trying to do on North Korea. No, we can say what we really think. We can be true to our values, and guess what? It will help the Democrats at the ballot box. Uh, yeah, and the questions you asked were really pretty direct. Yes. Right? Uh, uh, yeah, we didn't pull any punches. We tried to give the best argument on both sides, and we said, what do you agree with? Right. And so when you go down with that, um, we should be reducing our number of nuclear weapons. We don't have to spend as much on defense. I mean, all these issues you went through. Overwhelming the public is in favor of us. They don't want an arms race. They don't want more nuclear weapons. The Senate just voted for more just yesterday. They want fewer weapons. They want want to save their money, and, and they want to build it on infrastructure. So you ask them directly, where would you rather have it? They would rather have it in roads and schools and hospitals rather than in the $700 billion a year we're spending on, on, on defense. Now, I've heard these before, but still seeing them again, the numbers up front really struck me. Uh, 2017, U.S. the defense budget, $610 billion. Now up to 700 That was then, yes. That was now up yes. to 700 $610 billion. Okay. Uh, this spends, this dwarfs the $294 billion spent by all our adversaries together. Exactly. China, Russia, and all. We're like, so now we're two and a half times. Yeah. What and that's just, and then when you roll in our ally spending, you know, who spends on this? Well, right. Western Europe, the rich countries spend on yeah. defense. There's no contest. It's, it's 10 to 1, us against them. And, and yet, what do you hear in this town? That, you, that, that the military is underfunded and Obama starved the military and we have to give them more money. Yeah. That's and, all you hear and, and even but from Republicans and Democrats. Exactly. The, the Democrats in this town keep trying to show that they're tough on defense. So my good friends at the Center for New, Nash, uh, New American Security, they're having a conference this week. Strategic competition. Can we keep the edge? As if we're in danger, as if it's even a close call. That's what you hear. You know, we're falling behind. Oh, China's got this new missile. Or the Russians have had this new missile. We have to build more. It's the arms race mentality still grips this town, despite the reality that that we're on top by a big margin. And then you also point out that the 610 or the 700 now is just direct Pentagon spending. That doesn't include all the other... Yeah. Defense spending, which gets it up into the trillions, right? If you count Department of Energy, if you count intelligence agencies and, and the rest of it, which is never counted in that defense budget. 
Right. This is this is Guy Stapestein's influence. I'm I'm old school. I just well, here's yeah. the defense budget. Here's yeah, what it right. he goes. No, no, no. Look at Veterans Affairs. Don't forget the nuclear weapons in the Department of Energy. What about interest on the debt? And you you roll that all together, and you're at 1.2, almost 1.3 trillion dollars a year. It, 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 it gobbles up the vast majority of our discretionary spending. So all the other com- uh, priorities, State Department, uh, Health and Human Services, oh, yeah. right. environment, everything else has to scramble for the crumbs that are left over after the military-industrial complex sates itself. Yeah, but, you know, we just can't afford any more money for food stamps, Joe. No, got to cut it. Wasteful spending. And see, now you have the Republicans after passing these gigantic budgets. Of course. Now they come in, and what do they want to do? Oh, we have to balance the budget. Oh, sure. oh yeah, yeah. Now no, we no, have no. to save. And where they want to save from, this is their plan to gut Social Security, gut Medicare, gut, gut Medicaid. What was it? Starve the beast? Wasn't that the... Starve the beast. Wasn't that the phrase? Starve the beast. That's what they want to cripple the ability uh, Reagan's, of the government uh, to provide. Reagan's budget director. Exactly. Doom. Damn, blanking on his name right now. But that it's a, it's a deliberate method then and now. Paul yes. Ryan too is first of all you you do this massive take care of your friends, s- take care of your tax friends. cuts, right. big military spending, right. and then you have to follow up by saying, look, we don't have any money, so we have to cut Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. David Stockman. David Stockman, thank you. He's yeah. the one. Starve right. the beast. That was it. That's how you implement your social agenda. You cut the, the budgets for these other social programs. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, check out, uh, I'm sure it's online, too, uh, Joe's article in this week's uh, copy of uh, The Nation. Thank All right. you. So um, Donald Trump assures us, sleep well, everybody. There is no longer any nuclear threat from North Korea. Korea. How did that happen so fast? <laughs> this is an unbelievable tweet. You know, he just had a very successful summit from his point of view, and, and there was some, some reason to believe that. But then he can't help himself. He can't help himself. This man is permanently booked at the Grand Delusion Hotel. You know, <laughs> what, 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 the threat is gone. I, it's eliminated because I said I was going to eliminate it. It's yeah. done. Sleep yeah. well. No, there is not a single credible nuclear security expert who believes that somehow what happened at that bizarre spectacle in Singapore eliminated the uh, dozens of North Korean nuclear weapons, the hundreds of its missiles, the, 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 the scores of, of facilities in the vast nuclear complex. Now, look, I'm a supporter of what the president just did. I, I really am, despite all the bizarre t- twists right. and, 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 and a narcissistic method and his lavish over-the-top, unnecessary praise for this killer, Kim Jong-un, I support diplomacy with North Korea to solve the problem. And, and he did something very, very important. He brought the, the white right wing, the white wing, the, the, the white <laughs> well, right both. wing right. <laughs> in, into the process. That has been the biggest obstacle to getting a deal with North Korea. It's been the opposition of people like Bolton. Like Bolton. Like right. Bolton. Uh, who, who've killed the deals. It isn't North Korean duplicity that's killed most of these deals, although that's a factor. It's been people like Bolton and Cheney and Rumsfeld who had torpedoed the deals, blocked us from getting them, and here he made John Bolton sit at the table, right, mm-hmm. shake the hand of Kim Jong-un, and he started a process. So we're at the beginning of this process. We've overcome the political obstacles. Can we actually turn this into disarmament? There's a lot of work to do. So what confidence can we have or should we have that the process will continue and that there will be some real 
verifiable steps taken, like not building any more, dismantling the ones that they've got, letting us know how many they've got, no more. You know what I mean? I mean, the yeah. real substance of it. So there is a huge debate about this in my world, the nonproliferation people, the, the, the experts. Uh, is this a joke? One of my friends, Jeffrey Lewis uh, at Monterey, says the statement's a joke. This is ridiculous. This is a farce. Uh, I think I'm on the other side of this. I, I'm not the glass half full. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have much confidence in this team. It's pretty thin. It's pretty undersourced because they've been cutting the State Department budget. You know, got to give money to the military. Let's cut the State Department by one third, which is what they did last year and this. Uh, and Pompeo's press briefing yesterday in Seoul was not reassuring. He very vague. Very, very general, but I, I think it's quite possible that Kim has decided, Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea, has decided to make a strategic turn, and he is willing to do this in exchange. What he wants is a new strategic relationship with his southern neighbor, with South Korea, with the West, with America. And so if, if that's true, then these, these obstacles can be overcome. In other words, I don't think... Kim is running a, a, a scam here. It's not, this isn't a sting operation. I think something genuine may be going on. It'll all depend on what happens over the next six months. Uh, Peter, if we can, this is, you mentioned uh, Pompeo yesterday in Seoul. He keeps coming back to his definition of oh, what yes. our goal is. Here's the, the magic phrase. The world should rest assured that the United States, the Republic of Korea, and Japan remain committed to achieving the complete verifiable and irreversible denuclearization of North Korea. Complete, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization of North Korea. Is that what Kim Jong-un means when he says denuclearization? We don't know. That phrase did not appear in the summit communique. Um, The North Koreans don't like that phrase. They've argued against it. For years, this is a phrase that was kind of invented in the George W. Bush administration to be what it means to do, you know, do arms control on steroids, how we do it the Republican way. Well, it's this. And it, it, was a, it, was, it was designed to sort of sh- sh- <laughs> to show that real arms control is impossible because this is the ultimate goal. This is what you need. And this is what Pompeo has been saying all along. Not a hint of it. In fact, the word verification doesn't appear. This is the weakest statement we've ever issued with North Korea, going all the way back to 92, 93, 94. They mm-hmm. always talked about inspections, always talked about verification. There's not even a hint of it here. So we don't know yet what they're going to work out. And uh, Secretary Pompeo got quite prickly yesterday when reporters pressed him on this. Mm-hmm. He claims all of this is encompassed, uh, encompassed in the word complete, the one word that does show up in the communique complete denuclearization. He says, well, it's, that encompasses irreversible and, verif- and verifiable. Uh, well, then why did you insist that it had to be said? Do words matter or not? Today, they don't. Right. But you, um, you, you know, in that one sentence in the communique where it says, so the president uh, is going to uh, guarantees uh, security guarantees or something uh, for, yeah. for North Korea. And Chairman Kim Jong-un reaffirms his commitment to 
deeply frustration. As you point out, his grandfather made a deal in 92. Yeah. Yeah. To freeze and to stop any yeah. progress. The fell apart. They, they reneged on that deal. His father made a deal in 2005, was it, or something, whatever? Yes, that's right. Yeah, right? Same promise, right, which fell apart. So why should we believe that the grandson, with his reaffirming his commitment, means anything? Well, you can't. This can't be based on trust. This can't be based on Donald Trump touching and feeling you, which gives me the creeps even to think about that. <laughs> but, but, but... So it has to be based on verifiability. It's got to be a phased process. And the North Korean version of the summit, by the way, their statement that they released yesterday say that Donald Trump has agreed to this phased process. So not all at once, but step by step, which is the only way you can go. Yeah, right. So the, answer, the true answer is we don't know yet. We don't understand. We, we can't have confidence in what Kim's intentions are yet. But let me just tell you one other thing that's going on here. Uh, we, this is not really fun. <laughs> I think Donald Trump is actually the minor player in this, that th what's going on here is a process that's being driven by the Koreans, by Kim and by this Moon. This is China? And Moon. Yeah, Moon. No, it's Moon. the Koreans oh. uh -huh. more than anybody else. Really? And yeah. this deal is immensely popular in South Korea. So the, the people who have the most at, at stake here, are we going to get invaded or not? Is there going to be a war or not? They're hugely enthusiastic about this. Moon, going into this, Moon Jae-in, the South Korean president, was already the most popular politician in the world. He had elections yesterday. They swept the elections. The hmm. South Korean people voted with their ballots and gave his party a, a, a landslide victory, unlike Whoa. anything Whoa. the progressive huh. count. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, he represents the progressives. In and South he's Korea. the one who initiated this meeting and basically. He yeah. set it all up from yeah. the Olympics yeah. on. Right. This right. was his plan all yeah. along. Right. And this is enormously popular in, in South Korea. I got to tell you. You got to put Trump aside a little bit about what's going on here. The South Koreans are sleeping better. The South Koreans feel that they are not upset that that the president is ending the military exercises, which are not particularly popular in South Korea. Hmm. You know, it's kind mm -hmm. of interesting. So when you look at what's happening in Korea, this this is a boon for uh, progressives in South Korea, for President Moon, and I would say for the South Korean people. And giving up the uh, military exercises then wasn't crazy on Donald Trump's part. It, it's not crazy. And you see a lot of sort of posturing about this. And I understand it. Um, he, he didn't have to go all this way. The, the North Koreans themselves objected mainly to the strategic assets, the bombers, et cetera, that were being used. But, and, and there's plenty of ways you could modify the exercises, still do some of the tabletop stuff that goes on in headquarters mm -hmm. that don't, don't involve 100,000 uh, troops. It is not an unreasonable step. It's the way he did it. It's this autocratic method. This whole agreement was an agreement between two autocrats. No consultation with the South Koreans about this. Blindsided them. Didn't tell our own military this was coming. So he caught everybody um, by surprise. But the thing itself, it's not a bad thing to do if, in fact, it leads to these concessions by the South Koreans. Donald Trump may have unintentionally or inadvertently stumbled upon a formula that puts a lot of security assurances for North Korea up front and creates the conditions that allow them to actually start dismantling some of their arsenal. Uh, isn't it hard to make the argument 
that if you're going to accept the fact that what we saw in Singapore is uh, worth celebrating and is for mm. real and is what we ought to be doing, isn't it hard to make that argument and to make the argument that the Iran nuclear deal should have been trashed at the same time? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's a total contradiction, isn't what it? What you're going to end up with if this works is something that looks very much like the Iran deal. Step by step, rolling back, incentives. You're going to be giving the other side some things. That's what a deal is. You compromise. You each give. Right. It's, it's, it's crazy that, that Trump killed the Iran deal and now is trying to basically duplicate it on the Korean Peninsula. Yeah. And the different, big difference, of course, is that Iran didn't yet have nuclear weapons. Absolutely. Uh, Iran was, in fact, the easier problem. I mean, they, they had a large uranium enrichment complex, but no weapons, nowhere near uh, designing weapons, let alone building or testing the kinds of missiles that could hit the United States. They're still a long way from that. And now you've destroyed the deal that was keep, keeping them years away from that. Uh, Josie Rincioni is with us from the Plowshares Fund. We always tell you it's plowshares.org, the English spelling, P-L-O-U-G-H, shares.org. Uh, so we've got this process, which uh, hopefully will get started and hopefully will produce some results. Do we still have a G7? This uh, comes on the heels uh, of, I mean, the, con the, the contrast between... Uh, the praise for Kim Jong-un and the insults against our allies and the glowing success of Singapore and totally trashing uh, the G7. Uh, back to back. I would say the G7 now looks like one of those buildings you see on Pennsylvania Ave going under construction where the facade is still in place. Oh, and nothing left. And nothing else is left. He He's taking a wrecking ball to the... The G7, you know, it's very clear that Donald Trump doesn't like European Democrats, people who are democratic in principle, whether they live in Canada or human. No, they're weak. Small D. They're small. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, 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 yeah. uh, those are our rivals. But Asian autocrats, oh, uh, me like. You know, we want the, <laughs> we want the strong men. You know, the, it's very clear that we're dealing with an autocratic personality here, something that's very dangerous for the American uh, Democrats. Congressman Byers just pointed out, you know, look at his... Buds, yes. Right? The first one to wish him happy birthday today was Vladimir Putin. So it's Putin. Really? It, yes, it was. <laughs> oh. It's Vladimir Putin. It's Kim Jong-un. It's Erdogan of Turkey, right? It's Duterte of the Philippines. These are the people that he praises while he's trashing Trudeau, Theresa May, Angela Merkel, Emmanuel Macron. Somebody's got to do a video of a bare-shirted Putin singing happy birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do we have that yet? Uh, we don't have that up on on the internet yet. It's, 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 yeah, he'll be out there riding his horse. Right. Yeah, no so this is the problem but, you have, and so so. But, but, but so when you do, you come to this difficult problem of Seoul. He's out there alone. The South Koreans support this. They're very yeah. enthusiastic. After that, it's a very thin bench for the president. Have you heard anything from our allies who mm. should be involved in this, should have been being consulted about this? Not yeah. a peep. They're letting the president go out there you know, all, all by himself. So that weakens uh, the American global security framework. So what is the argument for uh, uh, inviting Russia back in the, G8, in the G7? It's, it's only it's, There's no argument for it. It's, you can't allow, they kicked him out because he, for the first time, forcibly changed the boundaries of Europe. First time since Invaded, World War II. Invaded uh, a neighboring country right. and took part of its this territory. This is the 
core principle for European security. You know, not we don't use force to resolve territorial disputes. The which is obvious, the lesson of World War II. Yeah, you don't yeah. do it this way. Right. And Putin does it, and he got kicked out for it. Plus, his his practices at, at home, he doesn't ad- adhere to the kind of principles that the G seven embody. Uh, uh, in, in There's no argument for it. That's why it wasn't wasn't even a close call. That's why it was so infuriating to these other democratic nations. To see the president come in carrying the water for a dictator, Vladimir Putin. Right. Not to mention there was a little issue about meddling in the... Uh, oh, yes. I'm sorry. I forgot about 2016 that. He camp. is actively attacking the nations of Europe with, with his meddling in European elections and, of course, meddling in our elections. And the president wants to overlook all that. Why? Did you hear his interview on Fox News on Air Force One? Wouldn't it be nice, he said, if... Uh, I could have dinner with Vladimir at these meetings, and I could say, hey, will you do me a favor? Will you get out of Syria? This is, this is real. This is what he said. Will you leave Crimea? I mean, really. Leave, just leave Crimea. This is the way the president thinks he's going to talk. This is his justification. He has a phone on his desk mm-hmm. with, that can connect him with, to Vladimir Putin at any time with a translator. He can talk to him anytime he wants. He doesn't have to be in the G7 or the G8 to do that. And that's all he needs. That's all he needs. Yeah. He can also talk to Kim Jong-un anytime now, too, I guess. His yeah. new buddy. Joe's here in Sunny. So good to see you, my friend. Thanks for your good work this week. <laughs> my pleasure. Okay. Bro. Hey, folks, Thursday is yours. Yes. Enjoy it. Is Come back tomorrow. Fresh show.